Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Craig, uh, today's film, I believe you proposed uh, a while back. I think you read about it somewhere online. Am I right about this? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking it was your idea, but now that you say that, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I read about it on some list. I don't know. It's just one of those cases where neither of us are going to want to take the credit for it. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody else is going to know this movie either. It's a 1989 film called The Suckling. I had never heard of it before it showed up on whatever list it was that you dredged up for this film. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you need, you hadn't either, had you? No, no, never. But we did read a little bit about it. At first when I read about it, or maybe it was the, you know, the whatever you sent me, whatever synopsis or whatnot, somebody else was reviewing it, I don't even remember. At first I thought this would be like kind of an anti-abortion film, uh-huh. like maybe even a, like an early faith-based type film where somebody was trying to use the genre of horror to make some point about the evils of abortion and... That is absolutely not the case. <laughs> no. No, it's just trash. Like, <laughs> it's total trash, this movie. It's just a trashy movie. Um, <laughs> it reminded me a little bit, though really not as bad, um, as it, it reminded me of that movie that, like, our lost episode, the the one that we never even posted because it was so terrible. <laughs> oh, street what was trash. that movie that we watched? Street Trash, with literally with trash in the title. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of that in that it was just, it seemed to really be making an effort to really push some boundaries. Um, and and frankly, I, I have to believe that they were kind of going for um, some really kind of trashy stuff. I was watching like the first 20 minutes and I texted you and I'm like, oh my gosh, this might be the most in poor taste movie we've ever watched because <laughs> it really is in really poor taste in parts. Now in the middle, it tames out a little bit and becomes more of just kind of your regular B monster movie. Um, but they sure cap it off at the beginning <laughs> and the end with some pretty trashy material. <laughs> they sure do. They, Oh my gosh, do they ever now, now that being said, it's. I don't think it's the worst movie we've ever seen. No. In many respects, I sort of feel like our barometer, at least my barometer, goes uh, with don't don't go into the woods. I sort mm-hmm. of feel like I I'm not sure I've seen a worse horror film that was legitimately released somewhere, right? Uh, than that one, as far as the acting goes, the production value, the music, the plot, the ridiculous. I mean, almost every little bit of that film. I think we were extremely dismissive of. You couldn't even say anything good about it, really, could we? I don't remember no. saying a single good thing about it. This movie, I have a, I have some good things to say about, but you're right. It's it's really trashy. The Suckling by a guy, a writer-director named Francis Terry, who doesn't have any other IMDb credits to his name as a writer or director, right. um, was an actor in Flesh-Eating Mothers, <laughs> which I believe at one point was released by Troma. And I was, in watching this movie, I thought, oh, it's a little like a Troma movie, or at least like a movie that Troma would release, something yeah. they would release after the fact. And I was really surprised that their name wasn't plastered all over this. But uh, no, this one seems to have just slipped into complete obscurity. Uh, even though, according to the only bit of trivia I was able to find on IMDb about it, uh, it took the writer-director 
a year and a half to raise funding for it. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it, it, it feels pretty cheap. Yeah. Okay, so it, it's a monster movie, essentially, and um, the monster, in some regards, looks really good in theory, so long as it doesn't really have to move or <laughs> do anything, like, <laughs> believably natural. Like, if you just were looking at it as, like, a sculpture... It looks really good, but (laughs) it can't do anything (laughs) (laughs) except kind of just move from side to side or like thrust out at you. (laughs) It's uh, it's not so great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're totally going to talk about this. Oh, we're totally going to talk about this monster later. Just, just uh, apparently, my son wants to as well. Yeah, good. I, I, I'm interested to see what he has to say. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good. No, it gave me. It also gave me vibes a little bit of um, Basket Case because it has that same kind of gritty, oh, yeah. just kind of this gritty feel to it. You're kind of uh, looking at the underbelly of uh, society a little bit. Um, oh yeah, and. Uh, I don't know. Again, it has some things going for it. Like it, it opens up with this big scroll, and I'm going to go ahead and read it because I wrote the whole thing down. <laughs> <laughs> On April 13, 1973, the most bizarre and macabre event in all of Brooklyn's history occurred. Twelve people, inhabitants of a reputed house of prostitution and an illegal abortion clinic, were killed. Only one occupant survived. When found by police, she told a tale so fantastic and horrific, she was believed to be insane. Authorities immediately placed her in an insane asylum. The most brilliant investigator spent years trying to solve this gruesome mystery, but to this day are still baffled. Could the rantings of a girl supposedly insane be true? The makers of this film believe so. <laughs> and so they go ahead and, you know, spoil the ending for you. You know that uh, there's only going to be one survivor of this whole flick, which kind of steals any um, anticipation or even sympathy that you might have for some of these characters because you know they're all going down. Yeah. I, I, I will say it, it's kind of an interesting premise. It's original. Well, you, you've got that much going for it. It's original, in the, <laughs> and it's probably never going to be done again. <laughs> probably not. Not after this film, anyway. I, <laughs> it seems like it's a requirement for bad movies like this to start out with some claim upon a real-life incident, because it's like they need that to sort of prop themselves up a little bit. Yeah, legitimize it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and also because this movie is, is a pastiche of all kinds of horror film cliches as well. And not really um, nodding to it, but trying to, you know, throw in everything in the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, no different that it starts with this crawl that claims that this. And there is absolutely no way, shape, or form that this was ever based on anything real. Oh, that's no. a total, total invention. Unless somebody was on some, like, major drugs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, we got to write that down in the police report, but we all know this right. is bullshit. Well, right. and... And also, I, I like the premise that this is a combination bordello uh, and abortion clinic. Like, right. like, you can get both things done at the same place. When I was growing up, we always used to laugh because it always seemed like Subway sandwich places and TCBYs must have some kind of agreement that they would always be like located next to each other in strip malls. 
like you know you go into subway and uh, you eat this what you expect to be a healthy meal and then you're like oh i can i can go for dessert but i still want to be healthy you know so, so you <laughs> that, go for yogurt that, instead of ice that cream that is quite the analogy yeah <laughs> a bordello slash abortion clinic like you take care of one business you take care of the other business <laughs> Well, that's how how it's kind of presented, is that the prostitutes in this place are also getting abortions Mm -hmm. in this place as a matter of routine. But they're also open to the public, you know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Where to begin? Oh, yeah, I know how we begin. We begin with a dream within a dream within a dream. (laughs) Oh, I had even... Oh, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, the booby nurse. I I had forgotten all about the booby nurse. Yeah, and I wondered if we were going to see boobies in this movie. But they just get him out of the way at the beginning. Yeah. There's a woman who's sleeping. You know, it's lightning and thunder outside and somebody comes into the house and is like walking up the stairs and there there's just a lab coat, you know, that they're dressed in and sinisterly like pulling out medications and needles and things as they approach the room. They get into the room and and as best as I could tell from all the different close-ups, uh this person injected the sleeping woman with some mm-hmm. kind of sedative, openly placed this needle back in their pocket. <laughs> yeah, the needle pointing up, like that makes any sense at all. World's best doctor or nurse. Uh, takes them out of there. And then when this woman wakes up, uh, she is being wheeled down a hallway, uh, hostile style, right? Looking left yeah. and right uh, into the rooms in this hospital. But the rooms in this hospital are are like, uh, you know, gurneys and beds. There's like blood splattered in places. And the nurses all are topless. They have mm-hmm. sexy nurse uniforms on. Right, but it's not sexy because they're like covered in blood and like yeah. carrying weapons and things. It's... Well, I was I was very confused. I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> well, as as is to be a testament to the rest of the movie, the acting being so great, one nurse struts out and and struts as in a director clearly told her strut strut harder, <laughs> put some real swing into your strut, because uh, this girl looks like she is doing the best that she can to walk in high heels next to this uh, wheelchair with this other you know woman who's kind of coming in and out, and uh, she's casually swinging an axe. And the doctors exchange some words with her. And the next shot we get is of her on the operating table, apparently, with the doctor looking over her. And what happens? She just wakes up, right? Or the, Oh, no, the doctor cuts right into her stomach without any anesthetic. The woman screams, and boom, she wakes up. Ah, ha, ha, ha. It was a dream sequence all along. So then after she wakes up from her dream, um, she goes to the bathroom getting some medication or something she swings the mirror closed and boom somebody behind her is like a staff member or something again at a hospital and cuts her night her throat with a knife and then she wakes up again and this time she's in a hospital at this point i really wasn't ready to believe anything i was going to see (laughs) i wondered if the whole movie would be a dream sequence by the time we were done with it okay so we wake up and we're in a Another hospital, and I guess at this point it's a clinic or something, insane asylum, uh, and uh, there's some doctors walking in, looking in, a super short guy and a tall older man, and they're discussing this woman. How long will she stay asleep before her next nightmare reoccurs? At best, approximately two hours. How does somebody that young develop hyperemnerosis? Frank hasn't told you about it? 
No, no, I just arrived here. Mm, yeah, that's right. Oh, you heard about the massacre in that brothel about a week ago? I haven't read anything about it, but I heard it covered on the news. You know, being an intern keeps me rather busy. Yeah, well, this girl was the only one that lived through it. Are you serious? Yeah. What the hell happened in there? I can only tell you what the police report said and what we could get out of it. Whether that's the truth, I don't know. Which cuts us into a flashback to 1973. Yeah. And thus begins our tale. And I thought that it was going to be told in a series of flashbacks, but really what ends up happening is then the whole rest of the movie is the flashback and we don't return into that mental uh, institution until the very end. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and I wanted to uh, say something about the score because at this point in the movie, um, the score, I was like, oh, the score's kind of good. It reminds me a little bit of John Carpenter. Um, But then as the movie went on, it, it was like there was no consistency. Like the score just changed all the time and was different from scene to scene and in some scenes it was okay and in some scenes it was just like a one finger plunk on the piano and I don't know it was kind of a mess but initially I was uh, hopeful <laughs> didn't yeah, pan out but it sounded almost like a, a distant cousin to the Halloween theme song yeah yeah and then right but then it's it's like somebody just who doesn't actually play piano or who is particularly musically inclined plunking away at a piano right trying to make a score as best they can and especially by the time you get to the end it yeah. like it's so dissonant and it's it's oh my god <laughs> it's pretty awful and the and so much of the movie is scored too and it, it it's the score that this is another case of where the film is really relying on a score to try to add tension to scenes that would otherwise be extremely long and probably boring. Yeah. Well, and they kind of end up being that way anyway. But <laughs> what do you say? So <laughs> how dare you? No. Um, but anyway, so there's this young couple and I don't even know if they were ever given names. Like even if you go to the IMDB page, most of the characters aren't even named. You just yeah. see the actors' names. So um, but there's Why don't we just give them names? <laughs> I was just going to call them the girl and the well cuz the the guy is kind of jockey, I guess. And I suppose there's I suppose they're supposed to be college students. They go to this abortion clinic and when I say abortion clinic, I mean this old rundown house that looks like it was built specifically to be like a haunted house. Like it, mm-hmm. th- that's how run down the outside of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in a bad part of town and why anybody would ever go there for any kind of medical pr- procedures beyond me. But that's what they're there for. And she doesn't want to do it. I don't understand why you're doing this. I told you. I won't tell anyone that you will follow it. Besides, I'm going to put it up for adoption right away. This would be so much easier. Just let her talk to you, and then everything will be all right. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is wrong. Anyway, this place isn't legal. We beat it to death already. Let's just go in. And uh, this handsome black guy, who we find out his name later is Sherman, uh, answers the door, and they're like, We're here to see Big Mama. (laughs) And he's like, okay, let's go around back. But as they're heading back, there's another guy 
that uh, shows up, and he's there for the hookers. And so he goes through the front door, and then we follow his encounter. It's this dumb guy with this oh my god weir- with this weird hooker, and he's wearing like a propeller beanie, and he opens this box, and it's filled with like dildos and whips, and um, he pulls out a dildo. And he gives it to the hooker, and then he bends over, and she starts doing her thing <laughs> with his with his butt. And I I wrote down in my notes, I'm like anal question mark, and like it was at this point that I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's gonna be this kind of this movie. kind of film. <laughs> the best part about this scene is, is, despite it being not sexy at all. Oh God, no! The best part of this scene is the beanie on the propeller on his cap starts spinning when he's excited, apparently, um, <laughs> in some cartoonish fashion, and and then when she's you know kind of going full whole hog on him um the beanie spins so hard that the propeller flies off <laughs> this is all bits of comedy i suppose that we're supposed to be gleaning from it but it is executed so poorly that it well and then another another hooker comes in and is and says to the the performing prostitute like somebody needs to see you or you've got a phone call or something and so like she the the one who the guy is with like goes to leave the room and the guy's like well what about me and so the other hooker walks in (laughs) and pulls the dildo out complete with like a like a popping sound when it comes out. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, and and really, frankly, that's kind of the only type of that humor that we get. But uh, it, yeah. it sets a tone. <laughs> yes. I think it certainly does. I think what the hooker says to the, to the first hooker is, Mary, your grandma's downstairs to drive you home. Yeah. <laughs> and after she pulls out, the dildo she picks up a paddle with some spikes on it and starts approaching the guy like now it's time for business and i'm thinking is she gonna kill him (laughs) (laughs) what kind of a place is this oh yeah and you're right this is um we're not gonna really go into an in-depth analysis of this film as though it were like great literature oh no subtext and con but it's just so weird this that this scene is in this movie because it's really the only attempt at this off-the-wall, naked-gun-style humor. It doesn't really flow with the rest of the film at all. No, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like apropos of nothing. Like, you know, nothing comes of it or anything. It's just this silly scene. Um, And then it cuts to the abortion side of the house, and we meet Big Mama. And I saw the woman who played Big Mama, and I thought, wait a second, is this a John Waters film? Because that's what it felt like. It's this, you know, this over-the-top woman with, like, major, like, makeup and eyeshadow and kind of big hair. And she's just this really over-the-top character. And she lectures the teenage girl. You're young, so let me explain something to you. Having it when the time is right is a smart thing to do. I won't kill it. Child, listen. You can speak all you want to after I'm finished. This thing you think you're killing has no eyes, no ears, no fingers. 
It ain't human. Not yet. This is the easy way out. Real easy. She gives her some, what looked like Kool-Aid, I guess. And the girl's like, the girl's like, no, thank you. And Big Mama's like, honey, never turn down hospitality. So the girl drinks the Kool-Aid and it immediately becomes apparent that she's been drugged. And and this is where, just the beginning, as, as though, you know, the anal play weren't trashy enough, um, this is where it started to just feel really dirty to me. Because obviously, this big mama has, without her consent, drugged this young girl. And then she passes out, and they perform the abortion on her against her will i mean she had actively said she didn't want to do it and uh you know we we see the abortion now thank goodness we are you know the camera is positioned from you know looking down over the girl's shoulders not from the other side because that would have been even more terrible but um it's still pretty gross i mean the, the big mama pulls out this fetus and it's a pretty developed fetus and she even says this is the largest second trimester fetus I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just yeah. gross. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously fake, but it looks real enough to be uncomfortable. And she hands it off to this girl, Bertha, and says, get rid of it the way I told you to. And Bertha takes it and flushes this huge fetus down the toilet. And we see the fetus like moving through these huge totally not realistic sewer pipes <laughs> and it gets it gets dumped into this uh you know i don't know just this big open place in the sewer and you hear just very briefly thank goodness but you hear very briefly a baby cry yeah. um, and so you so you know it's not dead and that's you know, troubling in and of itself and then of course Right above the sewage grate in the yard of this brothel is a can of toxic waste. Yeah, a big, <laughs> a big like like a oil drum with toxic yeah. waste written on the side, casually tossed sideways and dripping. Yeah, right into the grate, as these things do. Well, it's how you get Ninja Turtles. So, uh, well, we, this yeah. happened a lot in the late '80s, apparently. That's true. We did have a toxic toxic waste problem in the late 80s. <laughs> Just casually discarded in the sewers of America. I, I'm, this is why I was thinking so much of trauma, I think, is because this is more or less kind of how the Toxic Avenger Yeah. Happens. Except they're, that's a very self-aware, tongue-in-cheek film. And I, I mean, I'm sure this was supposed to be a slight joke. But the the movie tries really hard to be taken seriously in so many ways that um, it's hard to, to know what to write off. I mean, we did come after the fantastic naked gun hooker scene. So, uh, you know, the, the way that, and I think what you're getting at here is the tastelessness of the movie. A lot of it stems from just the casual, almost glee and glibness that the whole abortion subject is tackled. And even in the beginning, the conversation between the girl and the boy is so Mm-hmm. dumb it's so glib it's like they're talking about whether or not they're going to buy a car together it doesn't even make sense 
And at the t- at one point, you're wondering, does she want to do this? Does she not want to do this? Why is she going into this house if she's not interested in it? And then she talks to Big Mama, and she's telling her she's not going to go through with it. She's just doing it this because her boyfriend wants to. But then, like, why did you get so far mm-hmm. into this? What were you expecting to go into this room to this appointment with this woman that you were just going to say, well, we met and I decided not to and walk out? It was just so unclear to me. Like, even the dialogue didn't make sense. Because at one point, doesn't she say, like, well, I need to do this because it makes him happy? Because I need to keep Yeah, something like that. I I think that what she's saying is I only came here to make him happy, but I'm not going to do it. Um, And I think that that was what was so troubling to me was that she... Gosh, I mean, it's a movie, and it's a bad movie, and, like, you talk about the writing. The writing is horrible. I mean, it's just awful. The dialogue is so trite and stupid. I mean, I guess I understand why it doesn't sit well with me, you know, that you're performing abortions on people when they are unwilling and unconscious. Like, that's that's morally <laughs> disgusting. Um, and I, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I should just get over it and appreciate the fact that this is a B movie and it's it's silly but it just didn't sit well with me it it made me very uncomfortable well, it's like of all the things you're gonna put in your movie and everything you're gonna base your film on you've got so many options and so many choices like why and then of course you know it we continue the big joke uh as it goes along with uh the the you know the hooker that they met in the her name is Candy, we find out later, that they met in the waiting room outside, who's, you know, sitting there chewing her gum, reading a magazine. Oh, is this your first time, honey? Oh, it's the third one for me. You know, you get used to it after a while. Hardy har har, who then follows her in there. And Big Mama, as she's talking with this woman, is casually yanking some junk off of the hook of a coat hanger. It's so gross. And bends the coat hanger back into shape to hang up her coat. Like, did somebody think this is funny? No. I, I mean, I guess they must have, but it's not. It's so disgusting. And not only is she, like, just kind of casually cleaning it off, but, like, she doesn't even get it clean. Like, she leaves some of the tissue on there. And I, I didn't realize that she was hanging up clothes back on it. I thought she was going to use the same hanger on this next lady um which is even more gross but i guess it's you know it's just par for the course it really is for for the 12 year old that wrote the script yeah oh god it's so bad and then you know we see the toxic waste you know drips onto this fetus and there you know some puppet effects and it kind of starts to morph and like it, it grows uh like a claw and then we cut back to upstairs where uh, I guess the boyfriend's name is Phil. I guess he does have a name. I wrote it down. Oh, um, Phil, the boyfriend, is trying to comfort uh, his girlfriend. And then, like, just the most random stuff happens. Like, <laughs> some John, like, insults one of the hookers or something, and so she shoots him. And so then there's just, like, this dead John in there. And here's a great example of how good uh, the writing is. Um, the, uh, the, the blonde hooker who was the one that was getting the abortion and she's kind of the older one. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so you go on. Yeah. Tammy, the hooker shoots this John and, uh, the other hooker says, guy comes here to get his penis sucked and it gets shot off instead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> out of context, that's really funny. But like, even just the fact that. <laughs> it just struck me as so funny that she said, "Guy comes to get his penis sucked." Like, <laughs> yes, 
I would imagine that hookers would probably have more colorful language, but (laughs) I I, I don't know a lot of hookers, so maybe maybe they have a limited vocabulary. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they're real clinical in their descriptions to a point. You know, man comes to insert his penis in my vagina, and uh, well, no, she does actually follow that up. Later with a bit of, you know, there's like some homespun wisdom or something always coming from this woman. And I guess they're talking about the tragedy of the death and what they have to deal with it. And she just looks at her and says, I don't know. All these guys want to do these days is shoot their load in your face. I guess everybody's got their problems. Oh God, yeah, great, oh. just amazing writing. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I think I was pretty clever at thirteen. I, I could have, I could have <laughs> written, written this. Written. Yeah, <laughs> I could have easily written as a thirteen. Let's just put it that way. Well, then, uh, then we get into what really becomes the major part of the plot: Bertha and Candy, the blonde hooker who talks about sucking penises. Um, they're I don't know, they're just casually hanging out or whatever, and they hear a weird noise from the toilet, and Candy's like, just jiggle the flusher a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So Bertha jiggles the flusher, and they they keep hearing these noises, so she's like, well, just go ahead and flush it. And so Bertha flushes it, and they keep hearing the noises, and Candy's like, well, jiggle the flusher again. (laughs) (laughs) And she does, but they still hear the noises, so... Bertha opens up the toilet and like sticks her head almost down inside it. Like I don't know if she what was she was looking for <laughs> right. Um, but this umbilical cord shoots up out of it, goes all the way around her neck, and decapitates her. And the reaction on Candy's face when this happens is really so funny because it's like <laughs> the director was like, "Look, shocked and horrified," and she was like, "Okay, ah, uh, like." <laughs> Like it's oh gosh, it's the the lamest non reaction ever. And so then they start trying to get out. There's this guy who lives there, I guess, named Axel, and he's like the thug or, or the muscle, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know why he's there. He's just there to kind of be antagonistic. Um, but he explains it. Well, he exclaims, "We can't get the back door open. Something's going on." <laughs> I, I love how he goes into the room makes no mention or notice of the body without the head yeah. we presume is still there by the toilet but like looks at the toilet looks at the blood on the toilet blood on the walls like runs his finger along it and like sniffs it like like sniffs he's it. Like he's looking for drugs or cocaine or something like that and then Big Mama comes in and just says Girl, what happened? I gotta know. (laughs) (laughs) Just the funniest dialogue and the most terrible acting. Oh, it's just awful. And for apparently no reason. So, like, John and the girl are still there. And they tried the front door, but it was locked or something. And now, suddenly, they all come to this conclusion that... That thing is probably what has us trapped in here. Like, what? What? Where did that notion even come from? That thing is probably what's got us trapped in here. It means to kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> and and what it what it turns out being is like somehow inexplicably 
this fetus monster has encased the whole house or at least any exit to the house in like this organic material and <laughs> it's it, it appears that it's supposed to be like it's a metaphor for a womb like they're mm-hmm. stuck in the womb but i mean it's just it's just the it's just goofy as shit. Like, it's just so silly. <laughs> I like the, because uh, Axel gets all crazy, and he's like, no, I'll, I'll get us out of here. And he starts he starts kicking at the door, the front door, like the door that swings inward, he's trying inward. to kick open. <laughs> he's trying to yeah. kick it out. Oh I my know. God, I couldn't get over that. I'm like, the hinges are on the inside. <laughs> it doesn't open that way. Uh. <laughs> and, then he, and then he grabs a chair and throws it against a window, which makes, makes the shades fall and shows us that the window is encased in what's something that appears to be glowing or pulsing from the inside, which it really just looks like somebody put some brown paper over the window and there's a yeah. light on the other side flashing. But then it takes us to the outside of the building, unfortunately. And I guess they put some kind of, they all decide that they can't get out of there and whatever decapitated the one girl up at the toilet is what caused it. And <laughs> there's a nice bit of dialogue in the middle. Where'd this thing come from? We're locked in. Check the windows. I know about it already. Where does thing come from that killed Bertha? The toilet. But does that matter now? <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, it kind of matters. I mean... Something happened down there. I don't know what, but there must be some connection to all this. A thing attacked her. Something that can cause serious damage. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> you can pull your head off. It's it's capable of some serious damage. And this movie is trying so hard for style. Like, I I have to give this director some credit for trying for watching a lot of other much better horror films, pulling the cinematography ideas from those, and trying them to abysmal failure in his own movie. Yes. Like there are some great shot setups that just that would work if a competent person was behind the halfway competent person was behind the camera. Uh, and there and and you can pluck I can I can list off to you all of the different movies that these are pulled from. There's a cool um shot and you've seen it in like 10 different movies before, but nonetheless a guy walks into the room earlier in the film and there's a shot from above the fan blades, right? Mm-hmm. So you see fan blades swooping in front, and there's even a sound effect that goes with it, like whoosh, 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 kind of an over-exaggerated sound effect. And that's a cool kind of shot, you know? And that was about the only one that he did that really worked. The rest of them, like when um, Sherman tries the phone, and big and, and it's, he picks up the phone, there's this close-up on him picking up the phone. And then there's a shot of Big Mom, and she's like, it's dead, isn't it? And then there's this shot that starts out from further away and slowly dollies in on Sherman. And by the time it reaches him, which takes like five seconds, he says, yeah, the phone's dead. (laughs) And it's supposed to be so dramatic, but it is so poorly done. (laughs) Yeah. At this point where they're all stuck inside and they are, you know, kind of infighting and talking about what they're going to do it gave me shades of night of the living dead and even with you know like some of the close-ups on the characters and you know they're trying to build this tension but the writing and the acting are so bad like you said it's like they were trying to emulate um 
certain styles or or tropes or whatever, but just failing miserably. I I have to admit, you know, we've watched some bad movies, and there have been some movies that we've talked about where you know it, it was just really kind of a chore to even rehash them um and it's you know it's not super fun to rehash this point by point but in watching this movies it was it really is straddling that line between terrible and so bad it's kind of fun like like when when i was watching it and even after i was done i i thought you know this was an awful movie i would sit i would definitely never watch it again but I don't necessarily feel like I wasted my time. Like it's almost like it's like kind of like a car wreck. Like you have to watch. It's so bad. You have to see how bad this is. You have to see if it could possibly get any worse, or if there's any way this movie is going to redeem itself. And right. it doesn't. And it no. does actually get worse. <laughs> so that's part of the entertainment value. I, I I definitely put it more in that. So bad, it's good camp but you're right it really straddles the line there are times in this movie where it's really testing your patience Uh and there are other times when you're just like gleefully your jaw is just on the floor (laughs) right so terrible and one of the people that's trapped in there with them is one of the johns i don't know if it was the dildo john or if it was just somebody else but like he has all these ridiculous lines like open that door or i'll take my business elsewhere and i demand to know what's going on and (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile the fetus is still moving around it's it it doesn't make any logical sense like sometimes it's actually moving through the pipes like this umbilical cord that can kill people and sometimes it's just in the walls at some point, it bursts out of the wall and grabs one of the hookers and kills them. And at this point, it's huge. Somebody comments, they're like, it's growing at a really rapid rate. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Thank um, you for pointing that out. Which yeah. <laughs> also does not do your movie any favors. <laughs> no. The rate at which this thing is growing. Um, it, well, first of all, even the tentacles probably couldn't fit through the pipes of your house. Right. And they come out in all these places. The, I think the hooker upstairs gets, one of the hookers upstairs gets killed. And Axel and Sherman have it out and have this inane conversation downstairs. Apparently they, oh God, I almost forgot this part. Apparently they only have two tools in the entire place. Mm-hmm. A hammer and a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> and so they decide that they have to chisel their way out. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so they're going to go to where they broke the window open, and they're going to find that membrane thing, and they're going to try to chisel through it. No. They hand the hammer and the screwdriver to the John, who sits down at the front door under great protest, and starts to try to chisel away at the center of the of the wooden door (laughs) and when sherman when sherman tells him he has to do it he's like me i'm a businessman i'm not a laborer i'm not going to attempt to chisel through that wall it's absurd you've been treated like this before you're a vulgarian so awful and yeah and so then he just kind of timidly starts tapping away at the door it almost looks like they the the direction was okay you're chiseling away at the door but don't make any marks on it because we have to do reshoots (laughs) right this is somebody's door and we don't want to pay for it (laughs) and he sits there and he sits there for like 
what what appears to be like 15 20 minutes and he's like sweating and he's like uh i'm not getting anywhere and like no you're not like you haven't even touched it like <laughs> <laughs> well and when he's not chiseling away at the door apparently this man is super lecherous and cannot contain himself around women right <laughs> This is the most stereotypical John you could possibly imagine. And he can't even stand to sit on the edge of a sofa with these two prostitutes in the middle of this uh, crisis without looking down the one girl's skirt and, like, heavily breathing and starting to get hot and bothered. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's like, he's like, I got $100 in my pocket. <laughs> and they literally laugh at laugh him. Laugh at him. <laughs> and then he's like, well, you're just a bunch of cheap whores. I'm never coming back here again. Okay. All right. <laughs> See you later. Go back. Go back to chiseling the door. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> Oh, gosh. And then, you know, like, really, this kind of is the part that's really kind of tiresome because things are happening, but not really. I mean, um, uh, Sherman and Axel fight some more. You know, there's some, you know, Axel has a gun. Sherman gets it away for a while. But then the giant fetus jumps out of the wall and grabs uh, Sherman. Again, another hilarious part because this giant monster pops out of the wall, grabs this black guy, pulls him back into the wall, and Axel's response is he has this gun. He just starts shooting it randomly all around the room. Like, <laughs> I didn't even understand. Like, I guess he thought it's in the walls. I'll try to. But it was huge and it was just right there. Like, <laughs> how could it have gotten from there to the ceiling to the opposite wall in the split second since we last saw it? This thing is bigger and, and thicker than a human. And a wall is about six inches. Maybe you know, space possibly in there? six inches wide. <laughs> this thing p- comes out of the wall. This was also on the side of the staircase. This wall like had stairs on the other side of it, so you know that that there was especially no room for it to go. And suddenly it pops out, grabs this thing, and disappears into the six inches, and is somehow maneuvering around the six inches of wall space throughout the room. Oh. The the creature itself. I mean, it. it Thankfully, it doesn't look anything like a human baby anymore. Like, it really just is a big monster. It reminded me a lot of the monsters from Feast. Actually, I think there were, like, three Feast movies. Um, This is these huge, huge, pointy, sharp teeth and, um, you know, just incredibly monstrous. So at least you kind of get away from feeling sympathetic about it being but that the the other thing that i was thinking the whole time these i i guess in theory they don't know but i wondered if the movie was eventually going to go there like with it's yeah. alive or whatever where the couple was going to realize oh but that's our child no i thought so too no it's just a giant monster yeah i thought it would like somehow like the the way that they would get away from it is that the mother would somehow have some connection to it like once it approached the mother that there would be some thing that happened and there was but it wasn't didn't certainly go the direction i expected no, to no, go right. okay so they go to the basement oh uh, axel they're trying to build this tension where axel's taking charge and he's threatening everybody inside there with a gun which makes no sense it makes no sense why they would put up with it and the, the gun he's waving around is so obviously plastic. He's threatening them, but then he actually does shoot Candy in the head. And I didn't even... The 
for no reason, like out of nowhere, like she looked at him wrong or something. Um, I kind of liked Candy. She was trashy, but she was my favorite character. (laughs) But you're right, you know, like you said, they they head down to the basement because they're like, okay, what is it like? It likes tight spaces and it likes water. And Phil, the boyfriend's like, the boiler room? And they're like, yeah! (laughs) And I was like, this house has a boiler room? (laughs) This is Nightmare on Elm Street or something. It's just the basement is all it is. Uh, And they go downstairs, and the basement's really just this long, narrow corridor. And I'm thinking, how is this giant monster going to surprise them down there? But it does, of course. By the time they get to the end of the corridor, it um, jumps out and gets another girl, one of the random prostitutes. Vanessa. <laughs> um, and then so Axel tries to shoot it, shoot it, but he runs out of bullets. And then I did not understand this at all. Like the, the fetus monster kind of flees around a corner or something. And when Axel follows it, he finds it and it's being electrocuted by like the fuse box. Why? Yeah. Like, did it do this on purpose? Did it just accidentally grab the fuse box? Um, But it's being electrocuted. And so Axel, genius that he is, picks up a huge metal pole. (laughs) And I'm thinking even if you just hit or stab this creature, like it's a freaking metal pole and it's being electrocuted, you moron. Mm-hmm. But even better than that, he goes at it like he's going to stab it, and the fetus at the last minute pulls away from the fuse box, and so Axel stabs the fuse box with the metal pole, and then so he gets electrocuted, and he's dead. And explodes. And, oh, his head explodes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would happen. I mean, I don't right. know if you know anything about electricity, but, you know, your head would explode. If... <laughs> it's only natural. I like that our program is educational. People people can take away fun facts. That's right. Don't play around fuse boxes, kids. You could Your explode. Your head will explode. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's like this movie's one giant ABC after school special about the dangers of abortion. Yeah. It, it felt like a little bit at times. And then I really just felt like they had to be padding for time because the teen mother has a montage dream for no reason. It's just a montage of everything that's happened so far in the movie. And then she wakes up like, ah. (laughs) And then there's this whole little interlude that I don't understand because it's just kind of stuck in there. And it's Big Mama and one of the other prostitutes. And she's telling her, now don't you fret, girl. Big Mom will get us out of this situation. What? How have you Mm -hmm. done anything? Nothing. And the John joins them. And so the three of them are in there talking. And suddenly they hear some noises again. And they're freaking out. And this girl has this gun. And I guess it's supposed to be like, will she have the courage to do what she has to do and shoot this gun at this monster? And they're tensing up. And I feel like maybe they're in the kitchen. And maybe this is like a closet door. It's really quite unclear. Yeah. She shoots at this door four or five times. And who should come through it but Vanessa? And in case we didn't catch it, the John says, Oh my God, Vanessa wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Big now. Mama and then Big Mama says, It wasn't your fault. You didn't know. And then the hooker who shot Vanessa has a flashback of the scene that just, <laughs> just happened. happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
so good. <laughs> like, was this for impact or something? We needed to be reminded immediately of what just happened, the emotional toll it's supposed to take on us. God, oh, that my was God. so funny. Um, and then and then we're back to the John sitting in the doorway criticizing the guys who made a battering ram. <laughs> I don't even know. Like you can't even you can't even mention all the stupid things that happened in this movie. But at, at one point earlier, um they had this dis- this decision to make a battering ram to smash the door down. Again, the door that swings inside. They're going to bash yeah. uh, down with the battering ram. Uh and their idea was that uh, Axel has all these weights in the basement. And so I guess they put them inside of a big trunk mm. and they got some big thick rope and they used the tools that they don't have, or maybe this is where the chisel came in, to cut away a part of the ceiling so they could expose the, the beams of the second floor to hang this uh, trunk full of weights from. So then if they can pull it up the stairs and let it go, it's supposed to hit the door and eventually bash the door in. Except this thing just kind of bounces off the yeah. door. It, it's really a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really dumb. <laughs> very, very bad. And it's a major plot point. Like, we keep revisiting it several times. Um, but eventually, they get it to work, and it makes a, a hole in the door. It makes a, a nice, square, clean hole in the door. <laughs> right, that leads to what I can only imagine was supposed to be a birth canal. Is that the vibe that you were getting? That's what it's like. Yeah. It's like, it's like this tunnel. And they're like, supposed to be. we don't know where it goes, but I can see the light at the end. That must be the outside light. But it's, it's more like somebody's closet. <laughs> or like, or like a, a, an oddly lit like greenhouse or something, because the material that's hanging down just looks like, oh gosh, that kind of organic, like sackcloth kind of uh, it's material. It's like muslin sackcloth and netting all yeah. hanging down but shot through a red filter so i suppose it's supposed to look gross and slimy but there's nothing gross or slimy about no. it it looks like exactly what it is mm-hmm. and the john decides he's going to dive into it i don't know is this a thing like haha the john you know he can't keep out of the the vagina or something. <laughs> <laughs> he decides to dive on in, and so we get about 10 minutes of him just pushing cloth aside, basically, as he's proking, probing his way through. And sure enough, he he gets uh, killed by the monster. <laughs> but but then there's a shot of, like, okay, so he gets killed by the monster, and then there's a shot of his, hand, his severed hand crawling around on the floor. <laughs> I, I don't even I didn't even know what was happening. Like I've just got a big question mark in my notes. Uh, whatever. And then the last the last hooker kills herself. I guess she just can't take it anymore. And then um, the fetus, which is now enormous, kills Big Mama. Coming out of the washing machine. Yeah. Uh, and then so the only two left are the couple, the original couple, and the college guy says. I know what to do. I'll let it take me, and then I'll shoot. That way I can't miss. I'll kill it for sure. The giant fetus attacks and kills the college guy, and then it starts to approach the girl who somehow has fallen back and is now on her back. And God, as terrible as this is, I just couldn't help but laugh out loud at this part. It was so funny. 
and it looked awful. <laughs> like, it just looked terrible. Like seriously, literally 13-year-olds with a handheld camera, if they were innovative enough to do just even the most minor special effects and editing, could film could have filmed this in their garage. Like, it's just so bad. Yeah, this thing comes running towards her. As, as it runs towards her, it's cutting between her and this thing. And every time it cuts back to the thing, the thing is getting smaller and smaller and more normal fetus looking. And about two seconds into this, I realized to my horror that this thing was shrinking down and jumping back up inside her. Yeah. And the movie was actually going to do that. Wow. So that's where it ends at that point. And the next, what we see is the next morning when the cops come in. I guess they cut, the cops have been called by somebody, maybe the neighbors, and uh, they've cut their way through whatever membrane was around the house. And it looks around, oh my God, you know, this place is a mess. And they shine their light down, and there's the girl laying on the floor. And the next shot we get is, I believe, of the two doctors walking down the hall. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about these guys. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how silly the story is. And there's a bunch of dumb byplay between them. And I thought it might be a director's cameo or something. The guy sitting, the orderly sitting down in the hallway guiding them and says, oh, she's been transferred back to Ward B or whatever. And then it's a shot straight out of Psycho where there's this girl in a straitjacket in the corner of a giant white room and slowly pulls out. Except Psycho's a little too classy. So they had to make this a giant white room filled with a bunch of random crazy people doing crazy things. Right. Totally stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was going to end there. I thought, oh, okay, this woman, she's in the insane ward. And then a crawl was going to come back up. To this day, nobody still knows for sure what happened. But no, two orderlies come in Mm -hmm. and they walk up to her like a couple of thugs and are like, ah, yeah, this one won't mind. And they pull her out uh, into the hallway and one of them starts raping her. Yeah, just super casually. Like, again, like I said, you know, the very the beginning and the end are so trashy. And this was, you know, this is the trashy end cap where not that you necessarily care about this character, but she's, you know, catatonic, and he pulls her out in the hall, and just, you know, right there in the hall, in front of his buddy, in front of the other inmates who are watching, just very casually just starts raping her right there in the hallway, and it's not graphic, like there's no nudity or anything, but it's so gross, like it's just so uncomfortable to watch the thrusting and the, ugh, so mm. yuck. And but I guess the fetus that's inside her shoots out its umbilical cord and kills the orderly. And then it cuts to black and it starts to go to the credits. And I'm like, oh, good, thank God that's over. But then there's a whole extra scene in the credits that seemed like it came from a different movie. I, I didn't even understand. I don't even know what was happening. It's like this adult guy and this kid watching somebody, like, melt in melt. front of the whorehouse. Like, like their, their flesh all melts away, and these two are just standing there watching in horror. And there's no explanation for it. I have no idea who those people were. I have no idea what was happening. Did I miss something? Did you know what was going on? I had no idea. I thought... I thought we were gonna see. I thought we were looking at outtakes or some, some some special effect that wasn't used or something. But absolutely no idea. It looks like it came from a completely different movie. 
just like you said. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it looks like it came from street trash. That's it what does. I was thinking of. Because they all melted in that movie, remember? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, gosh. Well, this movie, you know, folks, if you've made it all the way through this with us, uh, I commend you. <laughs> None of the actors from this movie are recognizable. I, You know, I looked at some of their credits and, and none, some of them had done other schlocky B movies like this, but other than that, really nothing. Um, so I don't have anything to tell you about them. Um, and I, I really couldn't find anything about the production or anything like that either. You know, the, the only other interesting thing that I, uh, found was that it was also released under the title Sewage Baby, which I actually think is a more appropriate title. Way better. <laughs> and would maybe give you a better indication of what you're getting into um, <laughs> if you're going to watch this uh, movie. Um, it's terrible. It's a terrible movie. It's, it's not well made. I mean, though... I will agree with you that I do think that there were attempts at style. Just overall, it just seems very amateur. Uh, the acting is awful. The The worst thing, in my opinion, is the writing. The writing is so bad. I, again, I would never, ever watch it again. But if somebody asked me, you know, I'm looking to watch, you know, a really bad movie, something that I can just goof on with my friends, I would say, well, you should check out Sewage Baby or The Suckling or whatever it's called, because um, it is terrible. And if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> this, you, you found it. <laughs> you will get it in spades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you entirely. It's a, clearly a movie that in many ways aspires to something great, like, you could tell that the person who made it really thought that they were going to make some bank with it and then was maybe trying to throw in a bunch of edgy stuff to make sure that people watched it. And instead, I imagine it just turned so many people off. I, I, I don't even know what kind of distribution this movie got. I don't know what story. You can't even find information about it online. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how we found out anything about it to begin with. Yeah. It's just super obscure. It has. It absolutely deserves to be. Um, mm -hmm. It's tasteless in every respect and not yes. even in a fun way. But the movie, like you said, it straddles that line. And to be honest, there's quite a bit of it's so fun, it's so bad, it's hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen so many movies that are not like that. Bad movies that are just bad mm -hmm. movies. That this one is definitely not the worst movie that we've reviewed by yeah. far. But it's God, that's sad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it really shows what we go through <laughs> yeah. for you guys. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this one, please share it with a friend. Just don't make them watch this film. <laughs> if you still want them to be your friend. <laughs> you can find us online everywhere you can find podcasts. You can also find our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where uh, we also occasionally post uh, written reviews of films and grow our ever-enlarging fan base from two <laughs> to possibly three or four, which might actually diminish after they hear this particular episode. <laughs> So, we'll see. Uh, anyway, thank you again for listening. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys in a chainsaw. Ah.